Well, welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Ebujamra, and I am so happy to be back with you. It's Thursday. We're back together on the podcast, and I know that you guys have been loving these conversations we've been having. Um, my book dropped a few weeks ago. It's called uh, Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. And, and this book, man, it's uh, it, was, it was a hard one to write, but uh, just hearing from you and getting the responses that many of you have already sent, just I know that God is using all the pain that I went through for good. And so it has been just encouraging and fun to get guests on this show where every Thursday we share a conversation of people who've gone through some church pain or some disappointment, some disillusionment with their faith and just talking about how God just met them in that place. And so today my guest is no exception. You're going to love, love hearing the story of my friend Carlos. I'll introduce you to him in a second. But before I do, just remember that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can also find out more about our ministry at livingwithpower.org. And on Thursday nights, we meet and have a community group live on Facebook where I teach right now. We're going through the book. We're going through it chapter at a time. You have an opportunity to yell at me or to encourage me or to just vent uh, all of the questions that might be uh, coming up in your mind about the book. And hey, if you haven't gotten the book yet, just head on to Amazon and, and try to spell in my name. That'll be a challenge for you today. Or you can just put in fractured page. Either way, let me tell you about Carlos. Carlos Rodriguez, which by the way, is the shortened version of his name. He'll tell us in a second his real name. But this guy is a pastor. I was going to introduce you, Carlos, as an ex-pastor, but a pastor is a pastor is a pastor. And you are a a preacher pastor and just a man who <laughs> loves God and is doing some radical things for him. Uh, we're going to hear your story in a second, but you do have a background pastoring at church and now you run a nonprofit that's just exploding. In fact, you were key to help us set up SheGivesHope.com and the work we're doing Aww. in Lebanon. Uh, really, we I met you at a, at a conference. I met Carlos at a conference a few years ago and just I just so love the energy that he has. Uh, I think you're a little bit more intense than I am, if I may say so, <laughs> which is a, just oh, an admirable oh. thing. But you currently live in Puerto Rico, and, and your organization is, is all surrounding this concept of happy sonship. And so uh, mm-hmm. how are you, my friend? I'm so good, and I'm so um, grateful to you for having me here. Like, um, I, To be honest with you, I don't say yes to a lot of podcasts because it feels like there's so many people trying to do the same thing. But I follow your story. Mm. I follow your work. Um, I so believe in what you're doing. And I'm so happy that this book is out to the world because there's so many people um, that need to read it. So thank you for having me. Honestly, it's a, well, it's a joy and a pleasure. You know, Carlos, you and I share a common story in some ways. We met, in fact, uh, you were maybe a few months ahead of me, but sort of mm. at a time when we both had left our church. You maybe yeah. in a much more painful way in some ways. And so mm. tell us a little bit about that time of your life. It was a few years ago and you were in North Carolina, not quite Puerto Rico. What happened? That's right. I was in the, in the terrible in-between, right? Because mm-hmm. transition is hard even when it's a good transition. Even when you're in charge of transition, it's hard. But when it's a, a church family that you've loved and served and built with and, you know, you're transitioned out or, you know, in Christianese, we're launching you because um, we can't say you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're being launched into your calling and your destiny, which you assume was there with this beautiful group of people that, you know, to be honest with you, I still love and respect and value. Um, and in a bizarre way, I, I, you know, I am grateful um, that they gave me the gift of getting fired uh, because we weren't, you know, we were seeing things so differently. And, and you know, it, it's hard to talk about that season, um, number one, because it was painful, that transition. But number two, because the connections, the, the whole concept of like being a son to a specific house, to a specific group of people, of being a leader and a pastor and a friend 
um, and, and, and having to miss out on those connections. So long story short, I went to a school of ministry in Toronto, Canada, where I met my wife, um, where I got ordained, um, where I built these, this wonderful relationships all over the world. Through that ministry, I ended up planting a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and we were there for 10 years. And out of that church, as I was, quote unquote, launched out of that church, um, we started this nonprofit called The Happy Givers. And honestly, it was in the least happy summer mm -hmm. of my life. Um, so it was kind of like a prophetic declaration, like we're going to be right. in the midst of all this horrible transition. We're going to be joyful and we're going to turn this into generosity. And that's what we've done. Well, and, and of course, one of my themes in one of my chapters, it talks about um, sort of how God redirects our calling through those painful seasons. And, mm -hmm. and in a minute, we'll talk mm -hmm. about what you're doing, which I think really your life exemplifies that. Where, But I want to go back a bit to that season of pain because yeah. really the book is about pain and and, and specific, yeah. specifically I mean, there's a few things i want to tease out with you particularly because in at the time when this was happening uh, there were a lot of political opinions floating around in the sure. church and you as a leader held you know you saw things differently than they did and and in some mm. ways as an observer really if i were a conservative you know right wing mm. so i mean part of the mm. problem in the church in america right now is this division among political lines and and you mm. took a stand that was not popular in the mm. area that you're in and it cost you everything and so so yeah. even looking now with words that we're using in 2021 um mm. you you would have been accused as a progressive <laughs> which which is funny in a way because i mean like so you funny. use that as a curse in the conservative church yeah. and so talk, talk a little bit about that and what happened to you were you always a progressive or had you had a change of opinion or or what, yeah. what guided your change of or your vocalization of what you were seeing regarding specifically i think at the time the black lives matters movement and maybe some mm -hmm. other things mm -hmm. that were going on in that time mm -hmm. yeah well i grew up in a non-christian background um which, of course, a lot of pain and brokenness, alcoholism and abuse and unfaithfulness in my in, in my parents' marriage. And so I grew up in brokenness. But there was this one thing that the Rodriguez family always did. And I'm so gracious and grateful to my parents for that, is that no matter how bad it was, the table was always like everybody had a place at the mm -hmm. table. And even when my dad was drunk and even when they were arguing and even with I'm, I'm the only boy, I have five sisters. So there was a lot of turmoil between me and my different sisters and different dynamics. Both of my parents are in their second marriage. So three of my five sisters are from my parents' first marriages, right? So, but at the table, we were always welcome. There was always rice and beans. There was mm -hmm. always some meat. There was always an opportunity to sit together. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to say, number one, that my parents fully restore their marriage they are incredible friends or supporters of myself as, a, as an individual, but also the work that we do. So praise God, you know, for, for restoration of marriages like that. But, you know, in the midst of brokenness, I always knew there was this, this gospel message that they, were, they, they wouldn't verbalize it as gospel. It's like everybody's welcome. And so it was so unfortunate that it was actually in the church and specifically the American church where I kept learning that actually, no, not everyone is welcome. Hmm. Um, within our own circles, there's somebody that's more anointed or a ministry that has more revelation or people that are more in the Bible than others or a better theology than others. And there was this constant, right? This constant yeah. like having to choose which is the right place, even not at the table, at, at somebody else's table. Yeah. And so all that to say, I... I I probably wouldn't say this much publicly, but I trust you. So I'm going to say it to you and your audience. In a weird way, I think the Trump era was a gift. And obviously, 
as a Puerto Rican, I know it wasn't a gift for us um, because of the pain and turmoil that happened after Hurricane Maria. And I'll explain that a little bit more of that afterwards. But there was some sort of clarity that came where friends and leaders and people, again, that I still love and respect, would speak about uh, immigration. Um, and again, immigration is a concept, whatever. We can all have different opinions. But when you're talking about refugees, like they're dangerous criminals that are animals that shouldn't be welcome. And, we're, and, and you would know, Lena, like they're broken. They're hurting. Right. They've left everything they loved. And they're trying to find a safe place. And my Christian leaders and partners and people that I would do conferences with are declaring this stuff that they're hearing already declared by their political party of choice. And so it was so, it, again, clarity is a gift, right? So right? Maybe that's a better way to say it. Not just the Trump era, but clarity. Really knowing where you stand on certain issues. It, it never meant to me that people weren't included in the table or welcome to the table. I wanted to have the food fight at the table. I wanted, I guess, because I'm Puerto Rican and, and brown people are a bit more comfortable with, both with eating and with arguing. Um, I wanted to right. sit at the table together with people that I was really disagreeing and hash it out um, in the most normal New Testament way as Peter and Paul would hash it out about basically Gentiles being welcome and not at the table. I mean, here we are repeating the mistakes of 2000 years Right. Um, but, well, it does, but I have it does to, seem I, shocking. It does. I mean, how how have we not, as Christians, even now? I mean, think about 2016 mm. to now. How have mm. we? What's happened is exactly what happened to you. People basically have left, or have been kicked mm. out, or have divided mm. into camps. And instead of why can't we get it right? What do you think is the major obstacle in the church in the United States right now that has? Rather than even after all the talk of racism, all the talk of the yeah. sins of that are going on. We, we seem more divided in some ways than, than, yeah. than we used to be. Well, I'll take, I'll take responsibility now because it's not, you know, finger pointing exclusively doesn't do anybody any good. So I was a lead pastor of a church in, uh, I, I mean, Raleigh, North Carolina, which is the South, right? Mm. And, and it was a suburban area. Um, even though I'm Puerto Rican, my first language is Spanish. Our church was really mostly white people really the 81% who supported President Trump. And so I'm in the midst of this and I'm realizing myself, I'm taking responsibility now. I'm using the language of family, but I'm using it to manipulate, not to welcome. Hmm. I'm using the language of family so that people will really work really hard for free building my ministry. But I actually wasn't doing family like I was raised in my family to do in the brokenness and then the pain and then the and everything that was wrong and dark about my family. We were always welcome to the table to hash it out, to have a conversation, to clearly define this is what I think, this is what I believe in, and we're different. And wow, we see things differently. How do we move forward from clarity, not from pretending? And so I, I as a lead pastor, really, when 2016 happens and President Trump has won the election, and of course, I come, I, I'm, we're talking a Pentecostal charismatic background. So these prophets, right, yeah. that are manipulating scripture to decide a political election and thinking that, you know, that they really know the full revelation of God and that full revelation of God is in this man, this president. Um, and I'm challenging that. I, I think I was doing it too late because I, in a way, I found myself to be, and I built this platform that was me, the entertainer, and me, Carlos, the preacher who uses his hands a lot and is very passionate but I actually wasn't discipling anybody in the ways of Jesus, in the uncomfortable, beautiful ways so of Jesus. Um, and so I played the game 
because it was a good salary and I wrote books and I got signatures and I got to travel. And it really was until 2016 that I realized this game, like it's not benefiting anybody. Um, we're, we're calling each other family. And that's it. We're really just running small businesses terribly where we're not selling a product. We're selling spirituality and we're assigning a, a price to the conference and a price to entry, you know? Yeah. And so that, that kind of awareness as I'm literally having a crisis of faith as a pastor and it's affecting my marriage in a way that we started using the word divorce for the first time wow. in 12 years of marriage in a beautiful marriage that we've had. We were, we were so broken. We were so out of place. And, and I'm always, I'm so gracious and so grateful to Jesus um, for, for rescuing me from Western Christianity. Oh, that's so good. I mean, you would, I would describe what you're just describing there as you sort of deconstructed to a certain degree. I mean, the things that you were going through, I mean, people use that term deconstruction, I think in a lot of different ways. Sometimes I think when we hear Mm. it, the tendency is to think, oh, he no longer believes, but really all it is, is questioning sort of what you've been doing and thinking and and believing and kind of putting them to a lens of what is the truth and sort of you had this sort i mean not to use something too so melodramatic but an awakening of saying no we're we're doing this wrong and 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 now people are catching on a little bit more in fact i would say it's the millennials and under who are sort of asking those questions and pushing to have those Mm. conversations and Mm. but but rather than than being welcomed in a sense there's it's like they're I feel like in some ways, maybe, I mean, I don't know if you see that as well, but are the millennials being accused of, you know, sort of being the bad apples mm, <laughs> yeah, opposed to yeah. people thinking like, maybe there's something there. And we talk about the tension in generations. Like, is this a generational thing or is it a cultural thing? Like where you live yeah. in the U.S. or? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Geography makes, you know, there's no doubt that whoever you're around, um, culture affects, you know, based on the people. Because when you're in a tribe, you'll do anything to stay in the tribe. And we see it in abusive systems and churches where good people, intelligent people stay in the most toxic environments. Because I think ultimately, Lena, all we all want to belong so bad. Um, sometimes belonging is more important than safety. So we stay in unsafe places just because we feel that's a place we belong. When you were walking down that path, did you foresee the cost it would have on you in the short term? No, no, I didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, we were, uh, again, in, in a hard time for our marriage. Um, as we're coming out of that, I was getting counseling and we're going to see um, doctors and really working on our marriage and on ourselves. We're, we're in a process of adopting a baby girl out of Ethiopia from one of the children's home that we as a nonprofit supported. And then all of a sudden I'm losing my church family. Um, my wife is from Sheffield, England. I'm from Puerto Rico. So really we're in North Carolina. Neither of us have actual family, flesh and blood family there. Wow. And so I'm losing finances, of course. Uh, I'm losing salary. I'm losing friends. I'm losing support system. I'm losing so many things that I honestly kind of valued more than God himself, like the godly people and the godly system ended up being the God that I held on to and depended on. And so it was so brutal. I mean, when people talk about deconstruction, like a fancy thing or like a modern thing, I mean, it's pain, it's brokenness, it's tears. Mm. Um, It's having to draw some lines in the sand that you never thought you had to draw, but you have to do it for your own sanity, um, for your mental health, for your emotional health, for your spiritual health. You have to- How long did the season last? Mm. That's a good question. So basically, there was a season, there's a pre-deconstruction season when is you're asking questions, but it's safe enough questions, right? Yeah. That you're still acceptable. <laughs> that your community will have an illusion like it's okay, they're, you know, we're we're open to different ideas. They're right. safe enough that you you can convince yourself of that. 
And then there comes like when you're like murdering sacred cows, when you're sacrificing <laughs> them at the altar. And on this, it sounds almost funny, but it happened to me as we were planning for this uh, conference at the church. And I saw the budget for the green room and I'm like, wow. what are we doing? Like, how am I approving thousands and thousands of dollars so that the special anointed man feels even more specially anointed because he gets the Perrier water and then <laughs> we're not giving like free, like the conference, we're charging so much money and the people that would really benefit from coming and listening to what we're doing and getting some ministry, they can't even afford it. And the single mom that would like to come can't pay for the babysitter because she's got two jobs. And so I started to communicate that. And I didn't know how green rooms were so important in Christian circles in America. Well, well you got to work on how you pronounce the Perrier. <laughs> first things oh, first. Yeah. <laughs> That's Perrier. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Gas water. Anyways. <laughs> you really shook that boat at the time, huh? That's like a no Yeah. That's funny. And you're the pastor. I mean, you're coming down with, as a pastor. And so you stunned the community when you when you said no, no. Yeah. I'm, so I'm having those conversations. Other pastors are like, what are you talking about? Like, that's a, that's a safe place. Like, Jesus would have a green room, right? He's seating with the 12. And, and so we're, so we're now, that's the, that's the unsafe part of deconstruction. When you're pushing boundaries, when you're sacrificing at the altar, uh, some sacred cows for your community. And then you get to a place where you're just not welcomed anymore. And that's the most painful part. That's the darkest part of deconstruction. That's not the sexy part that anybody wants to write a book about, but I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you did. Um, But at that point, at that point, you really do realize, maybe danger is not the right word, but that's a place where you question absolutely everything. Yeah. And that's a place where you question God himself. You question Jesus and his goodness. You question everything you thought you knew about the gospel and about your vision and about your journey and about your relationships. And that place is, it, it's so tender and so sensitive, right? And and I know that a lot of people are literally in that place right now. And pandemic, in a way, accelerated the leaving of the church. I don't think the church in America realizes how many people are not going to come back once the, this whole pandemic, um, you know, hopefully it's done. Yeah. It's going to be a, a dramatic shift that's going to happen, which obviously affects the finances, affects what people, um, how they congregate, how, where they get their, their ideas from. And, and, and so we went through it. And... But deconstruction really, again, it's the, it's the kind of modern word for it. But, I mean, Jesus is literally starting conversations, public conversations with religious leaders surrounding him saying, you've heard it said, let me dis- deconstruct this thing right. that is in Exodus. You've heard it said an eye for an eye. You've heard it said from who you thought were the great prophets. But I tell you, forgive those who hurt you. And, and so... He's setting the platform for deconstruction, right? Yeah, himself so in his culture, in his space, and so I, I, I was, I was fortunate, Lena, that I found um, the work of Jesus in the midst of that third phase of the really painful deconstruction, well, and that I found that, that actually, what was, the pivot? Yeah, what was the pivot? What was the thing that Jesus did that sort of had yeah. you feel like, man, I'm not in this alone? Yeah. So I think <laughs> as Hurricane, so this is what happened. Um, I'm releasing my second book called Drop the Stones, and it really was about that journey of how do I choose not to just judge other people, but actually challenge myself and um, dropping the stones and, and, and washing feet and that kind of language. And as I'm releasing this book, there's a big photo of me and the Barnes and Nobles that the book is coming out. 
and I'm really, and my, my parents flew out to, Bar to, to Durham, North Carolina. I got a line of people that are about to get my book signed and, you know, all that fun stuff, which I value. And there's, you know, people that wanted to support me. And in the midst of that, you know, I, I, I felt even though I'm not in the church anymore, I'm not their pastor anymore. There were people that still believed in what I was doing, even though they disagreed with a lot of what I was saying. Um, but that actual night, Lena, is when Hurricane Maria destroyed the island of Puerto Rico. And I mean, it was like a nuclear bomb landed on this land. And so I, I, I had a friend, a missionary friend who I love and trust, who left me a voice message two days later. And he, in very strong language, said, don't you dare waste your life being a talking head like you live what you're writing about. Don't you dare waste your life like you do the Jesus thing. That is where you really shine. That's who you really are. And so I had this fork in the road moment where I had to decide, do I promote my book or do I actually go to Puerto Rico and do the work that I've been telling everybody else they need to be doing? And so I, I feel in a way, and I speak on this a lot, it was actually in the low places, not just my own low place of deconstruction, but the low places here in Puerto Rico of Victoria, the older lady who's a witch doctor who no church would help. And it was in her home that I really discovered how to love, not because I'm trying to get somebody to get saved or pray a prayer, but just because it's the right thing to do. And it was in Milagros' house. And Milagros literally means miracles, but she was experiencing no miracles. She had an amputation a few days before Maria. She's getting, her legs are getting infected. She can't walk. Her house is completely flooded. And as I'm laying down next to her singing an old hymn, that's when I realized like, this is Jesus. Like I, I'm singing to Jesus, right? And so... It moved from just being this self-centered brokenness to actually going into the brokenness of so many other people. And that's where I found Jesus in the most beautiful place where there was no podcast being recorded, where there was no camera, right? Kind of like zooming into the little tear coming out of my left eye where I didn't have to raise my hands because I'm the pastor. So let me lead the congregation, right? It was just me being broken, walking into the brokenness of others and realizing I wasn't even bringing Jesus. Jesus was already there. That's so good. So, and when you started doing this work, I'm curious, like, did you think for a minute, like, you know, in this kind of, you know, sick, dry part of your mm. soul, this is temporary until I get back into the game. Was it, did it start oh, yeah. that way? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So basically um, I was convinced that, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to plant the right church. That's going to prove to my old church that they were wrong the whole time. <laughs> Right. So that was <laughs> so <seven. good. laughs> I feel like you're my parallel brain. It's so funny. I mean, it's true. It's funny. But, but you look back and you think, man, did we not get what I mean, it takes a minute to get what Jesus is saying. But like, would you think I mean, I don't want to predict the future, but like, could you even imagine a world where you're not doing what you're doing now? No, no, no. This is this is I really feel that God allowed me to be in a right. Those 10 years in Raleigh. I thought I was saying yes to my calling. And what I was realizing was all the no's that were truthful, right? I yeah. realized, no, I actually don't want to do this. And no, I actually don't believe in this. And no, I'm actually not good in this part, right? Like I'm actually not good in this part of like churchianity. And I'm actually not that great in this part of theology. And I'm like, so I discovered my no's in order to be able to really truly say yes to my yes. That's so um, good. Which is the work that we're doing Tell us here. what you're doing. Tell us about your work. Yeah, so we're here in Puerto Rico, and we have right now we have a social kitchen um, that we built from scratch. We feed about we're at fifty-two families. We're planning to get to a hundred families, mostly the elderly, and and that's the thing, Lena. Like I keep finding between the prisoners and the elderly, 
the ones that literally can't pay you back, um, the ones that are stuck, right? Like when you help the elderly, it's not like you're helping them and they're going to get better. And then you can turn that into a happy story of how you help them. And thanks to you, now they're better. Like they get older, right? Yeah. And so those, those people that are so precious and so valuable. So we have a social kitchen for them. We have a micro enterprise training center. So we're teaching the local talent how to, you're talented in this area. How can we help you like start a business and be successful in your business? Of course, we do all the production now, which is amazing, of our not uh, the Happy Givers, which is our apparel brand. We're doing all the production here in Puerto Rico, so we're hiring people. We've grown our team, uh, yeah, which is super exciting, and we're constantly growing. We have a community garden that we're expanding. We're trying to get three acres of land next to us so we can have a community garden. We're going to do this thing called agrotherapy where the elderly come, and they plant seeds with the younger generation, and we spend time like learning about the ground and like learning about growth and harvest, et cetera. I mean, this, so is great. These- this has been in like the last, what? I mean, we met 15, six, in like in the last five, six yeah. years. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, if you go to mm-hmm. happynpo.com and look at pictures, it is incredible what God has done. It's just Thank absolutely shockingly you. miraculous. Well, I think I was fortunate that I was riding a wave. There's a legitimate, and here's the thing. I couldn't do what I'm doing without local churches getting involved where people who are in that, maybe in the second level of deconstruction, right, where they're asking unsafe questions, but they're still part of community, where they're saying, we love what you're doing. How can we help? How can we bring a team? And so we're constantly getting people, sending money, uh, uh, ordering stuff from our shop, um, sending teams to help, um, to donate their time, their efforts. And so we're really big into changing that whole narrative of quote unquote mission trips where, you know, the colonizer would come with their great savior mentality, not preaching Jesus, really preaching themselves while using Jesus as the mascot. And, and so we're trying to break through all that and saying, let's serve together. Let, you know, the heroes of the narrative are the people that just went through two hurricanes, an earthquake, political unrest, and now a pandemic. Doña Victoria, who lives by herself, is the true hero of our story here. And so how do we change the narrative so it's not the me, myself, and I worship, but it's like Father, Son, Holy Spirit in these dark places. And we just love the work we're doing. We're serving so many people. And it's not like I'm suffering. I live in the Caribbean. Right. My family's <laughs> doing really well emotionally and spiritually. And I just love the work that we're well, doing. you got a book so. coming out, too. I mean, you're still writing. You're still doing some things, you know, but you That's have a right. different right. motive and focus than you did before. Yeah, so I'm I'm really trying, Lena. I'm really trying to not fall for the same traps again th- from the church world now in the nonprofit world. Yeah, I'm really trying to like, okay, where are my temptations to make it about me? Where are my temptations to build my own platform? Like, I want to use my platform for the sake of the people that we're serving and to yeah. grow our team. But I mean, it's just so easy to fall for that, and I'm constantly like. The story of Jesus is what keeps taking me back to the feet washing and to like the spending time with the broken and like feeding the masses. Yet at the same time, like, you know, we started with the fact that this whole deconstruction journey is painful. And, you know, the shortest, literally the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. And and so the the humanity and the divinity and the divinity and the humanity. Right. Like here's Jesus perfect in all his ways. You know, I'm 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 a full 100 percent. Like no holds back. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his work of salvation, of healing, of restoration. And, and, and now I read the gospels that there's just so much humanity. There's so much pain. There's so much connection with his soul, with his body, you know, with his actual like emotions. And so I'm, I'm just trying to be aware of myself um, because I felt I was so unaware in the church world. 
um, just playing the game. And I'm just so tired of that game. So Jesus keeps me centered. Um, and I just want to follow him wherever he leads me. Do, does he just keep like, do you worry about finances, how to grow? Or has it just been a fluid, organic thing? Like, tell me a bit about like, I know I have a nonprofit and I, I'm yeah, a warrior yeah. by nature. But is it just one of those things that just like, boom, you woke up and like the roses are there. You're walking through a prairie in Puerto Rico. <laughs> you know, or, or has it been a lot of prayer work and, 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 and relationship building? Like, tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, of course. Thanks for asking about that. Yeah, it's been, so we have been really fortunate because of our store. Like we ourselves are our main donor, right? Um, and that's super exciting that our store has done so well, that people have really believed in kind of the messages. And, and so we try to communicate our culture, like the culture of our team on our, on our apparel and our shirts and our stickers. And so people really buy into that. But the actual, I, I have to tell you, like actually having a campus where we have our, our, our space where we do microenterprise, where we actually have a kitchen that's cooking and like an amazing kitchen team. When people come and they see what we're doing here and they can smell the garlic and they can walk by the plantains and then they buy one of our shirts right here. There's nothing like having an area where people can come and like really see what's going on um, I guess it legitimizes, you know, yeah. when they give like, oh, I already see that it's happening. It's it's not this idea of what might happen, but it's actually moving. Um, we just got given literally an ex NBA player came, spent a week with us here, donated two hundred and twenty thousand dollars to buy the house next door to us. Wow. Praise <laughs> God. That's incredible. Which is incredible. And 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 to us, I, I, as much as we love that, like we're always like saying yes to the donations. The fact that we can cover at least cover our overhead with our own business, right? Like our own social enterprise. That means that those two twenty can really go towards that house that we're buying, that we're turning into a shelter, an official shelter for the city for families that need help during times of crises. And then, of course, whenever we have volunteers and teams, they can stay there. It's literally right next to our campus. We're expanding our whole thing, and and so again, and and that's why, like I was saying, like I need to be constantly aware. Oh, those pitfalls and temptations that I'm trying to say, oh, the church did this and that. Really, I was a leader in the church. I was a, like a committed 100% leader in those churches. And how do I not fall into those traps? How do I not make it about me, but about Jesus and the people that we're serving? And so it's it, it's a crazy journey. It's painful. And you know, the $220,000, that doesn't happen all the time. No, That's but still, it's a, right? encouraging yeah. to hear. And I mean, I love, I love, I'm, I want to come down. I mean, I, I mean, I've told you before, but I really would You're love More than welcome. You know. Oh, man. Catherine but, would love to see you again. Well, listen, what, do, what, do, we're kind of bringing things here to an end, I know. But tell me a bit, like, what's your overall, you're on Twitter enough. I mean, and, and not that Twitter mm -hmm. is symbolic of all American Christianity. Sure. But what's your, what's your, vibe on what's happening in american christianity right now is there hope for the church or is it still sort of stuck with its own yeah rhetoric well i'm i i'm i mean how how fortunate are we that the gospels are so relevant still because you read the story of the two disciples on the road to emmaus like they're leaving jerusalem right they're leaving the place where they knew worship they knew the temple and in that place where they found god in the past um, right outside of that place is where their savior was crucified. And so they're walking out of everything they knew about God and about their culture and about religion. And on their way out of Jerusalem, Jesus walks with them. And I love it because I really feel this generation is in that very moment where we're walking with Jesus. We don't even recognize him. It's so different to everything we've been used to. And Jesus in the story is not really that interested 
to quickly say, hey, it's me. I'm here. Remember? Like, no, he's asking questions and he's like drawing it out of them. And there's nothing. And I, I'll go back to where I started the table. It's when they sit at the table, like when they're welcome and there's bread and there's wine that Jesus fully reveals himself to them. And then they say, word, our hearts burning. And I really feel there's this generation, their hearts are burning. It's confusing. You're walking away from so many things that you felt attached to and that belong. But it's in that place that Jesus, that Jesus is legitimately saying, you know, like, I'm walking with you. Let your hearts burn. I'm going to ask you questions. We don't have to have all the answers. As long as the table is open and it's ready, I know we're going to see him again. So you are hopeful. And so maybe picking even on so one hopeful. community that's, that, and, and by the way, I, I, I agree. I think that it's sort of, we're going through these sort of painful seasons right now in conversations right. in the church. Right. But I think, I think hopefully the beauty of Jesus will come out of it. Specifically, though, let's address maybe, and I, I know this might take us on a complete sure. tangent, but I think it's important, and I think you would be a good person to speak into this. I, I wrote a little bit about my friendship with uh, somebody in the LGBTQ community, uh, one of my closest yeah. friends in one of the chapters, and sort of specifically thinking of, of the population of the LGBTQ plus community. How, yeah. how do you, like, talk about that, inviting to the table. You come from a pretty yeah. conservative background. Like, how, sure. how do you approach those conversations? So here's my my thought is, and again, because I wasn't raised in the church, I am the firstborn of both my mom and my dad who were both divorced in their second marriage. And they had me outside of marriage. They got married just a little bit after I was born. So my parents would be the classic example 50 years ago, people that wouldn't be welcome. Yeah. Um, divorce, having a kid out of wedlock, like you wouldn't be welcome. You couldn't be leaders. You are, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. Like, Jesus specifically speaks against divorce twice, very clearly. So we would have every justification to reject them. And yet they were wonderful parents that walked out of their brokenness, you know, and shine like Jesus, their leaders, head deacons at the church that they work at um, in San Juan. My dad's a lawyer and he serves all these churches and he serves all these nonprofits. They couldn't be more godly, more wonderful. And so I believe if we, we can find all the verses to say LGBTQ people are not welcome, they can't be included, they can't be in ministry, they can't be in leadership, we could do that with every single sin in the world. Now, what if we were radically accepting of the LGBTQ community where there's a, a space at the table, not just a space at the table so we can say, oh, you see, we are radically accepting. No, a space at the table for us to learn from them, to hear their experience, to hear of their pain. And let them be the ones who lead the conversation and struggle with those verses, right? That might be talking against, for, in between, how bad is it, bestiality, sodomy, homosexuality. If they're not at the table, if we're the ones telling them what those verses are saying, of course they can come back and say, well, what about your divorce? And what about you eating shrimp? And what about your tattoos? And what about your line? And what about your Christian nationalism? So... That's why I'm so hungry for the story of the table to come back to the surface and to be the main thing about the Gospels. Like mm -hmm. literally the word evan evangelium is good news. The Gospel means good news to the poor. And for those people that have been marginalized and oppressed in our communities. And, and so Jesus is very specific in Matthew 25. When you welcome the least of these which almost sounds offensive, like, Jesus, why would you call some people the least of these? Well, that's because that's how you have labeled them. In your heart, who is the least of these? When you welcome them, you welcome me.
So for everybody that's listening, who have you categorized as the least of these in most Christian conservative churches? It is the LGBTQ community who has been categorized as the least of these. How we treat them is how we treat Jesus. And that's the challenge for the table. We're always going to have Bible verses to wrestle with. Let's wrestle with them together at the table where we're all included. I think that's awesome. What's your new book about, Carlos? So it used to be called Proximity, and now I'm changing it (laughs) because... Uh, I'm working on it and I'm working on it hard. I'm trying to live it more than write it. So that's tricky because the publisher likes it when I write it. Um, but, <laughs> um, basically, I realize um, the power of proximity, right? Like actually being close to somebody else's story. But proximity lies too much to us. I've had a number of teams that have come and proximity was for their benefit just so they could get the right photo, the right moment, the right story to take back. And they would go back to their churches to talk about how much they were changed on a trip. And so I'm really like valuing presence more and, and not just talking about like God's presence, but like being present with somebody like, you know, scripture tells us like weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. When you're in somebody's proximity, you can feel pity, right? You can feel a little bit of sympathy. But when you're in somebody's presence, when you become part of their story, you cry with them, you rejoice with them. And I feel like, like that is the story of Jesus. Like he's surrounded by angels singing, holy, holy, holy. And he abandons his place of privilege, which truly belongs to him, to like wash the feet of Judas a couple of hours before he's going to like betray him. So there's a whole different thing about present, of being present with people, being present in your communities. And so I haven't gotten the title yet. It might I be like called it. Flip the Tables, from Drop the Stones to Flip the Tables. Uh, we'll I like it. You got that shirt. I know, right? Isn't there a... That's right. I do have that shirt of Flip good. the Tables. Look, how, uh, you're still a preacher. I want to tell uh, you. I love preaching. I love, I love it. it. I know. You uh, You haven't told us. By the way, we, I, told, I promise you, tell us your full name. Maybe you should do it for the end here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Carlos Alberto Rodriguez, Sotro T. Rivera Pagan, Burgo Pardo Garcia, Caquillas Nazario. I feel like you <laughs> added a couple names. <laughs> so that's what I, heard. That's I probably what... did. No, no, no. That and, is. That uh, is. How can people uh, connect with you? I, I love your to follow on Twitter, but give them some of your uh, basic places. Yeah, so really, uh, we're we're making kind of the happygivers.com, the happygivers.com. That'll be more and more the space where everybody goes. Of course, it's our store, but it carries our story, our, nat- our narrative, trips that people can join. We have a, a, a team in November for anybody that wants to come to Puerto Rico and join us on a volunteer trip. Um, that's, you'll see videos of our kitchen and food being cooked. And so either the happygivers.com or happympo.com, um, you can find, you know, what we do there. And of course, all over social media is usually at Carlos happy NPO. Um, and people can write, they can, they can, you know, connect with us, DM me. I love chatting about, you know, this, this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. If there's always. an NBA player listening right now, God's <laughs> you to give $200,000, you can re- reach Carlos at Twitter. No, that's good. That's really good. Now, it really, it makes me so happy. I mean, it's, it's a fitting name, right? If you have a, you have a hope, uh, I mean, this is the hope yeah. podcast. And honestly, you, you feel it in every word you say, and your Thank story you. really is, I mean, there were moments you were telling what happened and the darkness and then how God has just burst the light through your story. I had, I had, goosebumps just hearing it and remind me so much of the experience I've been through so thank you Carlos for coming on this today I appreciate it so much 
Thank you, Lena, for having me. I really believe in you and your voice. I'm so glad that you wrote this book, and I really hope people keep um, buying it and sharing it. Could change the world. You, Let's friend. do it. Hey, guys, thank you for tuning in. We'll be again together next week. Don't forget to tune in to the Facebook uh, Live community because we believe in presence, and that is an opportunity for us to be together, even though it's not in person. Uh, to, to hook up on, on that, you can go to our website, uh, livingwithpower.org. Right at the top of the page, there's a blue box that says join our community. Click on it. I'll see you tonight. Otherwise, uh, hey, uh, know that you are not alone in this world. Jesus is closer than you think, and he's at work even when you don't see it clearly yet. So uh, take hope. Uh, there's something happening. And listen, it might just be around. Hope is just around the corner, so don't give up. And I'll see you again next week. Amen. Amen.